just gather around, let's get this old truck loaded down. We'll do our bit to help the best we can. Finally, our way's clear to see the music that we hear. Today's the day we're gonna get our chance. Well, the place is packed in every seat. Happy faces, patting feet. The band drives a hillbilly beat. There's magic in their hands. Special consensus from their album, Chicago Barn Dance. And that was the title cut from the album, Chicago Barn Dance. And special consensus is going to be in South Florida next Saturday evening in Fort Lauderdale at Penny Lane Music Emporium. And on the line with me is Greg Cahill of the band. And Greg, welcome to WLRN. Well, thanks, Michael. Really, really good to be here. We just listened to uh, Chicago Barn Dance from the band's latest album, you you dropped a lot of names in that song. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was written by our great uh, friend Missy Rains and Becky Bull friends, I should say Missy Rains, Becky Buller, and our wonderful producer Allison Brown. And um, that's the only song on the recording that was uh, written not written by somebody from Chicago or written about Chicago. And um, the reason we we did use that as a as the title song is uh, 2020 when we released the recording right in the middle of COVID, which wasn't too great. Um, is uh, was the uh, 45th anniversary of the formation of Special C as a touring and recording unit, and for you know at least 35 or 40 years of that time people would say, you're from Chicago, you can't play bluegrass music, you can't do that, you don't know anything about it and all that. So after all those years of hearing it, it was just like, you know what, we got to tell people about the fact that bluegrass music has been here a really long time, including when it was just being formed, because the Chicago Barn Dance was a radio show. It was called the National Barn Dance or the Chicago Barn Dance or the WLS Barn Dance. And it was sponsored by Sears and Roebuck, right? And uh, their moniker was world's largest store so that's wls and that station is still here it's it plays oldies now um but it started like in 1926 and they had all the great country stars of the time you know from roy rogers and then the sons of the pioneers and gene autry and uh, uh, patsy montana and homer and jethro and hank williams i mean but they also Bill and Charlie Monroe moved up from Kentucky to Indiana to work in the refineries there. They were about an hour, hour and a half, well, probably a couple hours back then. You didn't, couldn't go as fast. but uh, So they would drive in for the show on Saturday night, and they started as dancers on the show. And then when one night when uh, the duet team, I can't remember if it was like Delmore Brothers, or I can't remember who it was, but they didn't make it. So Bill and Charlie sang, and they became the singing duo. And, you know, and this was a, the time in the 30s when, when Bill was really 
forming his concept of what we now know as bluegrass music. So, and his first recordings were in Chicago, you know? And so we wanted people to know about that. And the biggest hook, uh, the show became so popular, they moved downtown Chicago to the 8th Street Theater and they packed it out every Saturday night. People would wait, lined up for blocks, even in, in the bitter winter in January and February, you know? But the, the, the real hook was that George D. Hay was the announcer. And so he was there for many years. And when he left, he, uh, he ended up down in Nashville and eventually went to work for WSM and eventually became their program director. And uh, when they were, of course, trying to uh, increase their listenership, um, he spoke with the owners of the station, which was an insurance company, and said, you know, we, we, I know we can do something. Let's, let's do, they have that Chicago barn dance down there. Let's do the Nashville barn dance, you know. That would be great. So they gave him a few months, and, of course, it was very successful. And, of course, they didn't like the Nashville barn dance because everybody called the one in Chicago the Chicago barn dance. So uh, he went on the air. They gave him the time slot for the, the Grand Opera Hour. And when he went on the air, he said, well, folks, you're looking for the Grand Opera. We have a little switch here, and it's called the Grand Ole Opera. And so anyway, that's a long-winded explanation for why it was the, the main song was called and the, the recording was uh, named Chicago Barn Dance. And then all the songs, as I said, were written by people who lived in Chicago or from Chicago or were about Chicago. That's a lot of information there, Greg. Greg Cahill is on the line, and uh, he's. Uh, are you the leader of uh, the Special C Special Consensus? Well, I am kind of. I'm the, I'm the last. I'm remaining original member, so yeah. Well, you know. it's funny because everybody's heard of the Grand Old Opry, but the Chicago Barn Dance. It's not many people yeah, are familiar with it. No, not that many. Even people in Chicago aren't. And it went right up to, I think, 65 or 1968, something like that. So it, had a, it was here forever. And, you know, and they had the farm report every morning. And they had, you know, it was a classic, like, rural-type radio station. Did you listen to it? You know, I, I didn't. I, I Maybe a couple times. <laughs> the funny thing is, I'd be outside in the car, like... <laughs> trying to get WSM on the radio, you know, you could get it because it was so powerful back then. You could get it on a, on a car radio. I couldn't get it in the house. Um, but uh, I, I heard it maybe once or twice, not, not too often, but interestingly enough, um, when I, after I got out of college and then I went into the army and I moved back to Chicago area, uh, in 1970 and, and lived in Evanston and I, I didn't find out until a couple of years later that I, I was like five or six blocks away from where Jethro Burns lived and so we became great friends and uh, I played shows you know uh, we'd be on the same bill and sometimes even ride to the show together and um, so I knew Jethro and I knew Johnny Frigo who was the, the staff bass player, but sometimes he was a phenomenal jazz fiddle player. So I, I knew the, the performers from Chicago Barn Dance back in the day, back in the 70s, after the show was already done, you know. I'm familiar but, with uh, some of the Chicago folk scene. Did you know Steve Goodman? I sure did. In fact, when we were in the 70s starting out, the band actually sort of formed with Chicago guys in, in 73, 74, and we played some clubs, but it was 75 when the bass player, Mark Edelstein, and I decided we want to do this. We want to, you know, do it for a couple of years full time and 
get it out of our system because we were just eating up with learning about and playing bluegrass music. Um, but uh, back in the 60s and into the 70s, folk was huge. Uh, for me, it was Kingston Trio and Peter, Paul and Mary and, you know, people like that. But it was also Pete Seeger. And uh, so I ended up with a in college, I, I was in a like a folk trio with a, a good buddy, Pat Frawley, and a, and a woman who was a great singer. And, and I played the long neck Vega banjo, you know, and um, then guitar. And then I bought a 12 string guitar all because of Pete Seeger, really. And uh, uh, then about the time, I don't know, I had, I had heard bluegrass music. The, the Chicago Folk Festival happens every year to this day over at the University of Chicago. And uh, that's where I met a lot of the bluegrass uh, players because we'd all go the the folk festival would have the really hardcore. I mean, Lulu Bell and Scotty, and they had the Pinnacle Boys, and they did at one point have uh, Stanley Brothers, but I, I was I didn't see them. I wasn't here then. But so it was, uh, and and so they'd have the the big acts on the stage, and then as they were changing over, all the bluegrassers would run out in the hall and play bluegrass music, and so that's. That's how I met the folks. And then, of course, Beverly Hillbillies kind of came out and you could hear, you know, it's like, how many people are playing that five-string banjo? Man, that was awesome. <laughs> Award-winning banjo player Greg Cahill of The Special Consensus is on the line. The band is going to be at Penny Lane Music Emporium next Saturday evening at 7 o'clock, 3038 North Federal Highway in Fort Lauderdale. Greg is also giving a banjo workshop starting at 4 o'clock at Penny Lane Music Emporium. Information 954-566-8141. Greg, you just mentioned the band was formed in Chicago. Did you say 45 years ago? Yeah, yeah, this is actually year 48, and uh, I don't know where the... (laughs) Buck Owens once had a song, and one of the lines was, where does the good times go? And it sure seems like that, you know, I can't, it's just... I guess you get so caught up year to year, you know, what are we going to do next year and where are we going to play? And, you know, we have a wonderful booking person, Maria Nadold, and you just don't even think about time. And I'm terrible at that, you know, if I'm talking about a, something that happened a few years ago, my wife is always, well, yeah, that was about 12 years ago, so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me about your latest single, uh, Blackbird. Blackbird came out. on on the airways maybe almost a year ago we just uh it was a song that uh allison brown a producer had had put in the mix when we're getting ready to record we all bring in songs and and ideas and what have you and we have this uh, usually pretty massive list and we just listen to all kinds of stuff for for about a year i mean literally like we just finished this new recording and we're listening already and thinking about the next one which every other year is when we release on compass records so anyway she had brought that in but obviously it was written by a canadian jp cormier so we recorded it and it did pretty well for us and uh, we get a lot of requests for it so we thought well jp was a great songwriter and he was a canadian so we decided we would do a sort of a theme as a tip of the hat to our canadian friends because we play a lot of the festivals there and we got a lot of our Canadian friends to come in and sing or play on it too. So we uh, just kind of made it a, just a fun thing and a, a good reason to visit with friends musically, you know? 
Um, and Blackbird was the first song uh, that prompted us to think about that. And, and on Blackbird, we had uh, Rob Ikes playing some killer dobro. And then uh, we were fortunate to get my old buddy Greg Blake in the band. He had been on the road with uh, Jeff Scroggins in Colorado. And then, you know, COVID gave us all a, <laughs> a, a little vacation at home for about a year and a half. And so uh, they weren't coming back. So we got Greg Blake. He's a phenomenal singer and guitar player. And then the newest member is Michael Pruitt, who was just a guy people hadn't heard of. And he's just a phenomenal mandolin player and singer from uh, from Kentucky. Um, and uh, he's playing mandolin and just tearing it up. So they're all on the new recording that's that's coming out now. Let's listen to Blackbird from the Special Consensus. Blackbird, sing your mournful song. High and lonely in the scarlet light of dawn, before those big wheels turn and take my love away. Take my love away Winding river, bring her home Bring her back to me and maybe she won't roam Far away from the one who loves her so The one who loves her so If I could catch her, I would run from here To the Oklahoma line In the hopes that she might stop and hear me cry Go sing my love to her from a mountaintop so high Cause if she knew she might not leave me behind Leave me far behind
Blackbird. That's the Special Consensus, a song that's going to be on an album soon from Special Consensus. But the uh, they're going to be in South Florida next Saturday evening at the Penny Lane Music Emporium in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, and I have on the phone with me Greg Cahill, who's uh, one of the original members of the band and, uh, and a banjo player for the Special Consensus. And congratulations on all the awards you've you've gotten, the Grammy nominations, International Bluegrass Music Awards you've been you've had. But since you have I have you on the line, I'm I'm curious about a few things. One, as if have you ever met Bill Monroe? Oh I definitely met Bill Monroe. <laughs> Did he hear you play? It, yes. Yes. And we played many shows with him and many of the festivals uh with him. Here's here's an interesting connect. You asked about Steve Goodman before. And there was this very extremely popular and one of the, the biggest and most well-known folk clubs in the country in Chicago. It was called the Earl of Old Town. And uh, we just badgered them, please, you got to have some bluegrass, you know, come on, you got to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Finally, they hired us. And so we went and played the show and right there in the front row was Steve Goodman. And that's how we met. He came to hear us. And I, it was just such an honor, you know, and, and we became friends and what have you. So the first time I played the Station Inn, which was about 1982, maybe, something like that, um, we were in between mandolin players. And we had a new guy coming in in the fall, and this was in the summer. So we had... Uh, a friend, Howie Town, our mandolin player, tenor singer, fly in from Boston. Chris Jones was our guitar player at the time, actually. And um, so he flew from Boston to Chicago, and we got in the van and we drove. And back then it was a good eight, eight and a half hour drive to Nashville. And we went right to the station inn, and we got there like at six o'clock, something like that, 630. The show was going to be at eight. They started an hour earlier back then. And uh, we went to the back room because we had all played somehow with each other, but never all together. Okay. So our bass player uh, and, and Chris and me and, and how we got together and we just started rehearsing. And Lynn, the manager, came back and said, Greg, uh, there's somebody here to see you. And I said, well, for gosh sakes, that's... At 6.30, we don't play late. We Absolutely. I can't. We have to rehearse. We have to go over the songs. I mean, we, we, we're just playing together now. We got to do this. She said, no, I know, but I really think you should come out here. I really think you should come out here. And so I said, oh, for gosh sake. All right. So I came out in there, powder blue suit, white Stetson, beautiful blonde woman kind of hanging on his arm. And I walked out and said, oh, my God. And I I'm Bill Monroe, and I came to hear how you play my music in Chicago. And this is Dee Presley, Elvis's stepmother. We're only going to stay for one set, but I want to hear how you play my music. <laughs> well, it, uh, I'll tell you, you could probably hear Howie going, what? <laughs> All the way back in Boston when I went back and told him, Bill Monroe is going to listen to me play mandolin and sing tenor and sitting in the front row, and we've never played together. Ah! <laughs> But it worked out great. They ended up staying for the whole night. Back then, you played two and a, two sets, and they're really short, and they stayed, and we visited with them on the breaks, and that's how I got to know Bill Monroe, which is 
phenomenal but i mean he came out to hear us you know it's great greg cahill of the special consensus they're going to be in south florida next saturday night at penny lane music emporium speaking of bill monroe uh the state of bluegrass today you think he'd be surprised well a lot of people think he would but i i don't know he was he was the guy pushing the boundaries back then you know really uh First generation blue. I mean, he's the guy who came up with these concepts, played a different way of playing the mandolin, kind of, sorta, and and the different harmony stacks and what have you, you know. And and um, he was welcoming to us, uh, but I mean, you know, there are all the stories about when he first heard Newgrass Revival, but then uh, then he decided, you know, that's really great that they're playing my music in their own way. The story about Elvis recording Blue Moon of Kentucky, you know, he went back and recorded Elvis's version then. And so in a way, I mean, I think he appreciated people having different takes on the music, you know, and, you know, he didn't like people plugged in. But I think, you know, because he knew that uh, he was the father of bluegrass music, anytime he would see any bands playing whatever their style was, he, he would... He was basically kind of taking credit for that, but he was proud of that, you know. Uh, now, with with the internet uh, over the past decades, uh, you know, young folks can learn how to play an instrument in their own living room. You know, back in the day, if you didn't have somebody who lived near you, um, you could go to festivals in the summer. They didn't really have indoor festivals then, so it was it was difficult to catch up with people, and there weren't all the books and CDs and videos and everything, lessons, you know. So to think about how much the music has grown and all the opportunities, and now all the young people coming in, which is fabulous, you know. That, that bluegrass tent is, is ever-expanding, and I think he'd be proud of it. Was, was he alive when the bluegrass International Bluegrass Music Association was formed? He was, and he was around when they started the uh, um, awards show. He was at the first awards show, and I'll never forget it. Ronnie McCurry won Mandolin Player of the Year, and he walked down off the stage, right down to the front row where Bill was standing, and said, I don't deserve this. This is yours, and gave it to Bill Monroe. So that was a big thing. That's a great and, story. Uh, yeah, he was around for, for, for a while. I'm speaking with Greg Cahill of The Special Consensus. Greg, it was great talking to you. I'm going to play one more song, and this did win an award uh, from the International Music uh, Bluegrass Music Awards, Instrumental Squirrel Hunter. Uh, was this a? Tr- and it's an interesting song because John Hartford introduces it. Was this like a tribute to John Hartford? It pretty much was. Yes, yes. We're all big John Hartford fans, and especially Allison Brown, and uh, all of us. And um, this was one of his favorite songs, tunes to play. Here is the special consensus with banjo player. Greg Cahill, playing the 2018 IBMA International Bluegrass Music Awards Instrumental of the Year. Here's Squirrel Hunter. This is a squirrel hunter. (laughs) 